There we go. Thank you, Murray. Welcome to the 2019 keynote Q&A. This is always a, an exciting time, a time where the people who've sat under the preaching have questions and we always look forward to this time. So welcome. Continue to come in. Grab a seat. Scott, Mike, thank you for all that you're doing. You're just blessing us in an immense way. Um, we've still got all the rest of today and tonight and tomorrow. We're excited to keep on the journey. As we begin and we, you know, you'll notice as we go through these questions, we won't be able to get through all of them and you may have submitted a question. We may not get to that. And so we want to apologize in advance. There's always so many questions. And so please don't feel hard done by that we don't get to your question. Um, but we do have, we have a number of questions to get through, and so we look forward to that. I'm just going to begin. This is a question to both of you. In what way is regeneration the same or different for Old Testament saints and New Covenant saints if the Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, came at Pentecost? Before we even answer that question, just generally, I remember they used to have a thing in America called the Bible Answer Man. And uh, there'd be questions like this, and I would, as a Christian, try to quickly answer the question before the answerer did. And so I hope one of the things that you're doing today when you hear these questions, you're wanting to know our answer, but try to answer it yourself too. I mean, silently, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a good thing to do because we have a lot of questions. Uh, the Bible's a difficult book because we're not Easterners, and it's in different languages and other things. And so I just love that. And... Um, try to figure out the answers to my own questions or so. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So what was the question again? Oh, There's a Bible answer yeah, man yeah. in New Zealand too. Oh, there is? We have Bible answer man in well, New Zealand. Well, they're not just Bible answer man, but the Bible answer yeah, man. Yeah, definite article. I feel like article. you have that title. Definite the article, Bible, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've met him. I think I have. Okay. Yeah. Scott, go ahead. No, did you, are you teaching on John 3? Well, I am. And, and essentially, if you think about God making people alive, our regeneration, uh, he saves people, maybe you can think of it in a bigger picture, does God save in different ways, the Old, Old Covenant, Old Testament, and New Testament, uh, it would be wrong to think that God saves by works in the Old Testament, and keeping the law, our Mosaic law, and then God saves by grace in the New. How is Abraham saved, Romans chapter 4? By circumcision, um, by sacrificing his son, uh, while sacrificing his son might have shown evidence of his salvation he was justified by faith alone is that not Paul's argument in Romans chapter 4 David was saved by faith alone in the Messiah who would come and so you have to remember that God doesn't have two plans of salvation and uh, uh, different ways to save people he saves the exact same way and that is through faith alone in a proclamation about the Messiah and uh, what happens is the, the work of the Spirit regenerates, makes alive, makes born again, and then we respond with faith. And so that's the exact same way everyone has been saved. Call it to be born again, regeneration, or to make alive, Colossians 2, Ephesians chapter 2. And so he saves the same in the old and the new. I think the nuance of the question is, what about the Holy Spirit, and uh, is there something special in Pentecost that happens there? And I think yes, but I do not want to ignore the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, because how could anyone ever be convicted of sin in the Old Testament without the Holy Spirit? 
So he convicts of sin. How could anyone ever be made alive by themselves in the Old Testament without the Holy Spirit? He made them alive. How could anyone uh, be sealed by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and have that guarantee of salvation without him? They could not be. And so while you see the tenor of Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit of God would come upon men for mighty acts. Uh, there's a special indwelling in the New Testament uh, for uh, the people yes. of God there, and, and that's a specially reserved thing. But I, I want to make sure I guard mm -hmm. two different ways of salvation and saying the Holy Spirit never... Uh, here's how I memorized it in, in seminary. Maybe you did mm -hmm. too with Dr. Zimmick. Yeah. The role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is a permanent, abiding, mm -hmm. soteriological presence. Mm -hmm. It's permanent. He doesn't come and go in terms right. of salvation. Right. When David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, he wasn't saying, I'm going to lose my salvation. But that special anointing for king there he had in Psalm 51, don't take that from me. So anyway, I'm trying to make it a short answer. That's um, great. Okay. Agreed. I, I think, uh, well said, Mike. You know, people are saved in the same way in the Old Testament as they are in the New uh, as you said, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. That is the example in Romans 4, and I just think the nuance in the New Testament is where he came on those kings and those prophets at times. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God indwells every believer. I do think in the New Testament, the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, distributes the gifts. So there's a generalization of in the old, but I wouldn't want to make a a difference with that in salvation, but especially in ecclesiology, and even with what I preached on today, you know, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. There's a fuller expression of that, but He redeemed people in the same way, because regeneration is the act where He acts on an individual, He's sovereign over that, and you have to be able to be convicted of your sin, and only the Spirit could do that. So, yep. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Another question here. The question is, we know that God is rich in love and mercy. We read that in Ephesians 2.4. But then, why would God not save everyone? Hmm. You go first this time, then I well, back clean up. No. you know, he... Uh, He's sovereign, is he not? Mike preached on the eternal degree. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You have affirmation after affirmation. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so you have to be sovereignly regenerated. It's a work of God on man in which man does not participate in that. You are regenerated by the gift of God, but I also believe at the same time that man is responsible for his sin. And so I would say that they're condemned. We could, there was a man I was talking to here just out, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, I won't give his name, but, uh, and he was telling me about his son, and his son has just drifted away from the Lord, and he was asking me about sovereignty. And I just encouraged him as a father to keep calling his son to repentance and belief. Now you say, well, Scott, why would you call him to repentance and belief? Well, because Jesus modeled that in Mark 4 when he came on after John the Baptist passed off the scene. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he told the people there to repent and believe. He was commanding them to repent and believe, but only God can open the eyes on that. So... 
I, I would just say the tension here is people go to hell uh, because they've rejected the person and work of Jesus Christ. They bear the responsibility of their open rebellion to him. They were born in sin, but they bear the responsibility. So it keeps me preaching the gospel to people because I don't know who has the eternal decree stamped on their back. I just keep commanding people to repent and to believe, though that command to repent and believe are both gifts of God. So as a preacher, I'm free. I don't know who God has elected, but I do know that I have a duty to command and give that call out for the gospel, but only God can open the eyes. And so the reason people perish is because they have not trusted Christ and they bear the responsibility of that. And I just continue to tell people that, that they have to repent and believe. Certainly the Lord could have saved every person that was ever born, uh, but in fact, he's not. We know that with Judas, right? Uh, Judas, uh, it would have been better if he had never been born. Uh, the question really is, what kind of love is it? that God has. And I think as you study the New Testament and Old, you will see a distinguishing love, will you not? Out of all the nations in the world, God chooses Israel and he sets his affection on Israel. Uh, out of all the men of Israel, he set his special call on the Levitical priest for his work. He chooses Moses and Aaron uh, to, to represent him, not the others. He chooses the 12 disciples and not anyone else. Uh, he chooses some and not all, and you'll just see that in the Lord's work throughout history. Jacob he chooses and not Esau. It's a distinguishing kind of love, and that's what our God's love is like. Uh, and, and I think that's we have to be very careful and just say no matter what we might want or desire or think of God, I just have to push myself back underneath the Scripture and say even in fact, in Romans chapter 9, why are some people damned? Of course, the onus would be exactly what Scott said, because they didn't believe, and because they sinned, right? Even the Reformed confessions and creeds would be, you're in heaven because of God's love. You're not in heaven because the onus is on your sin. Yes. Yet these verses are in the Bible in Romans 9. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared destruction why did he do that he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory and uh, if you ask yourself the question what is God doing right now I asked that of Sinclair Ferguson once mm. and he said God is simultaneously exercising all of his attributes I thought that's a great answer yeah. Eight years later, I saw Sinclair, and I said, you changed my life with the answer to the question of what is God doing right now? And he said, what did I tell you? Mm -hmm. I said, you said to me, God is simultaneously exercising all of his attributes. And he looked at me, and he said, that was a good answer. <laughs> and if you think even at Calvary, simultaneously, God demonstrating his holiness and his love and his grace and his wrath, uh, we are all too prone to think, that somehow uh, God has love and God has wrath. That's the wrong way to think about it because we need to talk about essence. And God is love. And God is wrathful. And God is holy. And therefore, he exercises those. And of course, we are thankful recipients. Uh, but we can never push and say, well, God must do things the way I think so when um, we need to set like Job did underneath 
uh, the ministry of God's Word and instead of asking too many rash questions, and I don't think that's a rash question. Right. It could turn into one. It's a fine question, but we need to be on the submitting side and just sometimes being still and knowing He's God. Thank you, guys. Another question for you both. Uh, I know, Mike, you preached yesterday afternoon on the eternal decree. And the eternal decree obviously preceded creation. And if God decreed before creation, the question is, he'll, He will save those whom He has chosen. Why then do we have mission? Why the Great Commission? Why evangelism? Mm -hmm. How do we pray for the unsaved? Uh, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. so, well, I love the question because it means you're thinking, right? The ideas do have consequences, and so what about that if God has um, written people's names in the book of life before they've been born, not based on what they've done or not done, why would we evangelize? And uh, it's the same question, by the way, why do we pray, right? If God's sovereign over everything, then why, in fact, do we pray? And so the prayer one maybe is easy. We pray because the Lord says to pray. Pray then in this way. And similarly, we are told to evangelize. The end is their salvation. As many as have been appointed to eternal life believed, Acts 13, 48. But we are to preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing a message about Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And short of uh, your view of do, when infants die, do they go to heaven or do they all go to heaven? Do the elect infants go? All those questions. Short of that, nobody gets to heaven unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to proclaim them the good news. Jesus the preacher, John the Baptist the preacher, Paul the preacher, Jeremiah the preacher, because the ordained means is preaching. In fact, the most zealous, fervent evangelist of all time have all believed in the eternal decree. Those denying the eternal decree have not evangelized as much in terms of church history. So if you look at Whitfield, you look at Hudson Taylor, you look at Adoniram Judson, you look at Spurgeon, you look at David Brainerd, um, those men, Mary Slessor of, of uh, Scotland who went to Calabar, they believed in what we would say is the eternal decree of God. And by the way, I think I'm going to give my sermon away uh, for tonight, but that gives me hope. Why? Because if it wasn't decreed, nobody would ever make it. Right? No one would ever come to faith unless God had decreed. And so uh, I am joy. I am encouraged. That means we should send missionaries. So my daughter and son-in-law are in Albania. And uh, in 1991, uh, Rob Provost, of course, was there, Mike. They said in all of Albania there were five believers. And I didn't believe them. And I, I said, no, you're not right. It was the only self-proclaimed atheistic nation. But missionaries and my daughter and son-in-law have gone there. They started a church three years ago, and there's 150 young people in it. Far from it being discouraging, it provides hope. Mm -hmm. I think even fuel and motivation that God's got is redeemed out there, and all we have to do is pro, you know, faithfully proclaim this book. It does give hope, doesn't it? Listen, when I'm preaching, I'm never struggling with this issue, Mike. I mean, obviously, God is sovereign, but you still feel, maybe Matthew, as a, as a minister of the gospel, I'm commanding people to, to do what only God sovereignly can open their eyes to. Yeah. And the where I got that from is Whitfield. These guys were pure Calvinists, Whitfield and Spurgeon. And when you read them, they are just calling out to the unbeliever. In fact, Spurgeon, at the end of his life, 
bore great criticism from hyper-Calvinistic people who couldn't believe that his gospel offer was so free. And there's a little book, I don't know if you ever read that one, by Ian Murray on the forgotten Spurgeon. And it was his battle at the end of his life in ministry with hyper-Calvinists who accused him of offering a free gospel. But what a joy it is to preach, to know that God is sovereign in that. And as I said today, you know, he, only the Spirit of God can convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But he uses the Word of God. In fact, I'll show it to you. Look over in the book of James just for a second. This uh, scripture has moored me uh, to this issue, both of his eternal degree, decree, but also... You know, every good and perfect gift, 117 of James, comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Here's this in verse 18. Of his own will, that's sovereign decree, he brought us forth, and the word there for brought us forth is the word for regeneration. He brought us forth by what? The word of truth. So if you want to see people redeemed, then you preach the gospel uh, all understanding the eternal degree, but decree. But I want to be clear with you. I do not know who has elect stamped on their back, nor do I want to pretend like I know. So I just preach the gospel open-ended, knowing that he's called people before the foundation of the world. But right there, he That's brought us forth by the word of truth. Okay? And so you just believe the scripture and keep preaching. So great, wonderful. In well, Acts, you know, it says, uh, I have many people in this city. And Paul was encouraged because yes. there are, if you want to be technical, uh, people in your life that are unregenerate elect people. I don't know who they are, but yeah. since the Lord hasn't come back, I know they're unregenerate elect people. And how do they come to faith? By preaching the gospel. So we preach, as the reformer said, promiscuously. To, like to, to everyone, yeah. all, and, and, and everyone needs to hear the message. And, and I love that because I just keep preaching and the Lord then saves. I have no responsibility except to give the word right. and preaching comes through the word. And uh, when it comes to that, I just think, Lord, you have told me that this is your sovereign decree and I am happy to give good news. By the way, I love to give good news, don't you? Yeah. I love to tell people, do you know no matter what you've done in your life or haven't done, you can have forgiveness. You can be reconciled to God. Lay down your arms of sin and trust in the Lord Jesus, the risen Savior, who bore for sin, sinners, bore sin for sinners like you, and you can be forgiven. I, I love now, to tell people you, that. You, you guys would say. What do you mean, you guys? Us two? You, you two. <laughs> and Mike, you can comment on this. And sometimes I hate being taped. Um, sometimes. I, I have just met arrogant people on this issue of hyper-Calvinism that I think have missed the tension of the dialogue we're having here. In other words, they have no passion for the lost. I mean, Paul is saying, it's my earnest prayer, my kinsman's salvation. I wish myself accursed for their salvation. So if you're hardcore Calvinism, leads to a coldness, then you've missed something in the scripture. So, I, I mean, I have no problem, not a problem, the eternal decree, it's all over the scripture, but I have no problem with what the reformers called that open gospel 
to preach that gospel, to command people to repent and believe, even though I can't make them do that. Mm. And in any, I'll just add to that, just yeah. a footnote. In any discussion yeah. regarding the doctrines of grace, yeah. definitions and defining of the terms is so, so important. Yes. And what my personal experience has been, that's, that's, we can sometimes use that term, right, yeah. personal experience, um, has been that what people believe are the doctrines of grace is hyper-Calvinism. It's hyper, and it's rude sometimes, and there's, there's a lack of compassion in the heart. And if, if you lose that love for lost people, then you've missed the scripture. You've missed the heartbeat of Paul. And, and we're kind of talking preacher language. Whether it's preached or just the spoken word, Jesus said to you, that's the second person plural, you are my witnesses. So I'm thinking, okay, where's the eternal degree? He's got his people in each city, but you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Um, are you... No, I was just going to say when it yeah. comes to even using the word yeah. Calvinism, I rarely use it. I mean, Same. so far since I've been here, I only use it that one time about the guy who wanted the wife who was the five-point Calvinist that we talked <laughs> about. It was, just, it was just a quote. Yeah. Um, I'm the same. I just yeah, the doctrines I, of grace. I, I, I don't need to because too many people have a wrong yeah, view of it, and we worship some man or anything else. Yeah. It's just a shorthand term. So if we talk about the sovereignty of God, mm. I, I, I like that because most people would believe that God's sovereign over your parents, sovereign over your birthday, the day that you die, sovereign over the weather. Right? It's wonderful in Scripture. It doesn't say it's raining out. It says it. God sent the rain. God's sovereign over kingdoms and nations and people. And then you realize that gulp moment that God's sovereign over who goes to his heaven. Mm. And that's really what we're after when we say that. And this same God who's sovereign over his heaven allows people to come to his heaven by grace through the preaching of the gospel. And even the best preacher that ever lived, the Lord Jesus. Although in John 6, he's talking about the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of his Father and who's going to come. And, and Matthew chapter 11, uh, to all these that the Father has revealed it, yet he, the Lord Jesus, was the most promiscuous preacher of free grace in, in, in all the world. He's the one preaching to Jew and Gentile, right? And so I think we and want to be I, careful. And, and Matt, I want to add one thing. I forgot to say it this morning. If you were here to meet here to hear my sermon when I said the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sometimes, even when I was studying for that last week, how come more people don't believe that? If that's what the Spirit does, then how come He's not doing it globally, massively, hugely? Because the Bible says, wide is the path, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path, right, that leads to life. And the only thought I had there is, do you remember, is it in, in 2 Corinthians? Is that the one in 2 where he's speaking that for some it's an aroma of life to life? And it's trans, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I don't think that's indiscriminate. He's not just preaching to the elect. We're, he says there, we're an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the fragrance, he said to one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? In other words, the message goes out just indiscriminately to all, but 
it lands on some, their hearts are open and others it condemns. Hey, can you imagine yeah. everyone here, Amen. someone was praying for you and someone preached the gospel to you? That's how you came to faith. Mm. Someplace, somewhere, yeah. uh, God has his hand on you in eternity past and then in time, he brought someone to you and made you alive. I'm so <sighs> encouraged by that. Acts chapter 16, you think about how God makes his people get to heaven. Here's how he does it. Paul wanted to go to Asia, Acts 16. The Spirit of God prevented him. He goes instead to a little place and meets a lady by the river named Lydia. I mean, if I was God, I would send Paul to Asia. There are millions of people there. But there was one elect, unregenerate lady named Lydia. And God takes the Apostle Paul and doesn't let him go to Asia. He goes over to Greece and he meets with the lady Lydia. And through the preaching of Paul, God opened Lydia's heart and saved her for the one. Mm. And by the way, P.S., she was living in Greece, but she was from Asia. <laughs> right? Wait, are she you is from Thyatira. God uses people to do that? <laughs> no. And by the yeah. way, when you're used of the Lord to preach the gospel to someone, how do you feel? What a oh. joy. And I know I didn't save the people, yeah. but I got to be the preacher. I got to be the, the evangelist. I got to say, have you considered your soul? Yeah, but you, you, I look at my family, and I want you to share with them. My family was pagans, I told you that, and just enough to say somebody shared the gospel with them. Elect before the foundation of the world, but somebody saved. Tell them real quick about you, because you got saved when you were, what, 29? Right. Tell them, tell them just briefly what happened, how God used his word in the preaching to redeem you and call you out, even though he had you selected before the foundation. Of the, the super world. short version yeah. is my dad uh, was dying and I picked up the Bible because I wanted answers, but I couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of tossed it to the side and I mm -hmm. thought there's got to be answers uh, in this word, but I couldn't kind of decode it, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have the spirit of God to uh, understand it. So I began to think um, I better listen to the radio because my wife now, she was my girlfriend, That's she said, thought? listen to the radio because yeah. there's Bible teachers on the radio. Yeah. I mean, I like music and punk rock music and this, that, and the other in sports and was a punk rock disc jockey and everything. And I thought... You were? I, I was. I didn't know that. That yeah, explains yeah, a yeah, little. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so go, keep going. So yeah. I would listen on the radio because, you know, faith isn't in faith. We're not taking a leap no. of Kierkegaardian faith. No. Faith has an object, and object. you ought to know that that object... Uh, he is virgin born and he is Amen. eternally God and he's full, you know, completely man, etc. So I'm learning about who God is. And I remember one day listening to the radio. I'm driving in L.A. and the guy on the radio does an altar call. On the, on the radio? He, it was a recorded service on Sunday, uh, but now it's a replay. Yeah. You didn't and shut your eyes though. I mean, you're no, driving. No, no. Okay. But he said, everybody come to the front. And I'm like, I'm moving closer to the dash. Because <laughs> wherever that holy place is, I wanted to get up there. Because I knew I was saved and, and I wanted to be forgiven. You mean, I, so God, he opened your heart up through the preaching, through the, the radio. He redeemed you right on the spot. There. He redeemed me and that's why I love radio because yeah. I know that's amazing. Uh, uh, that God can use recorded things even. Can you imagine that? Spoken the powerful word. word of God that's oh. recorded 10 years earlier in an altar call. Yes. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we got to keep going. Okay. <laughs> such joy, such joy as we reflect upon Amen. others' testimonies, our own testimony. Question here Would you consider religious groups like the Seventh day Adventists to be true believers and Christians? Mm. 
Well, I'll start with this one. I live in New England where it's uh, headquarters of the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist there in the New England states. And when I first went to the grocery store, I thought it was very health conscious. And I thought it was back in California and come yeah. to find out it was all Seventh-day Adventist yeah. stuff. Tofu corn dogs and stuff like that. So I wasn't <laughs> quite sure. It just didn't have the same ring uh, to it. Uh, so I've dealt with a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. We even thought about renting a Seventh-day Adventist building because they meet on Saturday. And we meet on Sunday, of course, the Lord's Day when he was raised. If you believe, if you have friends that believe in the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist, they can't be saved because Ellen G. White teaches a perverted gospel that's Correct. damned by Galatians 1 because it adds works to the finished work of Christ Jesus. There are people that don't believe that in the Seventh-day Adventist yes, church I, who are Christians, but they're Christians in spite of it. In other yes. words, they're bad Adventists. You can be a Roman Catholic and saved, but it's in spite of the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Correct. Church. Good Catholics can't be saved. Good Seventh-day Adventists, are, well, I shouldn't say they could, can't be, but they aren't because they're believing in the doctrine of the church. Mm -hmm. And you think about how this works in Galatians. Here's the person and work of Christ Jesus, and they understood who Jesus was. But the damning effects came when they thought the way we receive the benefits of Jesus is faith plus circumcision. Mm -hmm. You can get the right Jesus, triune God, uh, God-man, arose from the dead, substitutionary atonement, coming back soon. And if you think you receive those benefits by faith plus, Paul said what? Not once but twice, you're damned. Yeah. So I have a heart for my Seventh-day Adventist friends because they're so enslaved into the Sabbath and, the, and on their programs. They say when the sun's going to go down and all the food that they're going to eat and everything else. Um, you can't please God in any way, shape, or form on your own. The only thing that pleases God is His Son, and we're just trusting in Him. And by the way, God declared, God the Son declared what? All foods clean. clean. Aren't you glad? Let's have a bloody steak tonight. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yum. I mean, Ellen G. White, you can tell cults this way. They have the Bible plus another source and her Amen. writings. Jesus, and he didn't do enough because you have to add work. Mm -hmm. Salvation, you receive it by doing something besides faith. And so if you have friends, you can be sweet to them, but I never would just say, oh, they're Seventh-day Adventists, Correct. they're my brother, and they're my sister. I automatically default to mm -hmm. when Ellen G. White says all these things, and she, from the investigative judgment and the mark of the beast, uh, Jesus' work wasn't enough, she, she is a false teacher, and I want the leaders mm -hmm. at the Seventh-day Adventists to renounce Ellen G. White, and we can sit down and talk. But until you renounce Ellen uh, G. White, I have no camaraderie with someone that says my Lord Jesus' death wasn't enough. Mm. I will be kind in person, but there's a time to say, you know what, uh, this person is marked as a false teacher. This is a cult, mm -hmm. not a sociological cult, but a theological cult, adding works to the perfect work of Christ. <clears throat> you ought to stand up against that. Mike, you, you were sharing the other night, they of course would disagree with eternal security, and this is because it's a cult, and so you'll very rarely meet a Seventh-day Adventist that has any assurance of salvation, because they're having to add to their works to it, and thus, consequently, they walk around much like a Roman Catholic, never confident if they've done enough to please the Lord. Yeah. It's marked by that. Hmm. Yeah. Another question here. And as we talk about this, um, we understand that both in charismatic Pentecostal circles, circles and conservative circles, there's people you made mention this morning, um, uh, there's people that go astray, they, 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 they lead churches down 
into millions of dollars of debt because of sordid gain or, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Realizing that there's brothers and sisters in, in a number of um, different movements and denominations. Mm-hmm. In saying all of that, what are the main issues with the charismatic movement? Hmm. I mean, I just, you know, I'd want to be careful, you know, in my words to you if you're from a charismatic persuasion. But I, I think you've heard me share, and I think I'll let that be said, is that I just struggle when people say, God said this. He spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. I have a dream. I have a vision. Uh, I had a woman come up to me last night who used to be a prophetess. And that seems to be, Matthew, maybe my biggest concern is there's something extra needed than the sufficiency of the word of God. So just I think my concern would be that we let the word stand and be preached. And that doesn't mean that it's just literal and external. It's alive and active to us. We walk with the Holy Spirit and so forth. But that to me is the is the biggest concern of the movement at times is extra biblical revelation. I heard a guy on TV, Mike, you probably even spoke on this from Bethel Church, Bill Johnson, it was one of his associate pastors, get up and he was talking on the nature of prophecy. So Matthew, that's a concern is understanding the spiritual gift of prophecy. Is it for today? Does God still give people prophetic word? I know churches that do meetings every week that have open mics for someone to come up and give a prophetic word. And I'm still Mm. left with the thought, Mm. he's already spoken to us. I don't need somebody's prophetic word. But this pastor got up and basically said that his prophecy works, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, He said, I'm like a weatherman. He said, I'm right about 51% of the time, is what he said. And everybody in his congregation laughed. And I thought to myself, that is not funny. Because in the Old Testament, if you were a prophet and you were wrong, what happened to you? You were stoned. And we have so many. So they've come up, just generally speaking, with a definition of prophecy that expands the borders of biblical prophecy and the way that God gave that. And to me, that remains the concern. I had somebody tell me, um, I want to be careful how I say this. Um, uh, It's always hard to know how to say that. Why wham, a, a movement used by God, no question, probably preaching the gospel. There is so many things in there that are based on experience. So I had a guy come back just two years ago and tell me, and I'm not trying to be rude, I'm just trying to tell you what he, he said. We were spun in circles like a bat spin in a game out on a, and, and then we were told after this, the, the, the spin to point at someone and to give the person in that circle a prophetic word. And it was all built off experience. And so I, I get concerned, Matthew, on opposite of what I taught, the apostles' doctrine and the word that's been delivered is some of the concern on the, the open nature of the gifts that sometimes seem to have no confusion. A woman shared with me last night, and I don't know where it was. She, I think she said she was in Wellington, and she went into the church, and she said it just was, and she was charismatic. She said it was just chaos in there. 
people speaking in tongues, people shouting out, people on the floor, people running around, and it quickened her mind. She said, God is a God of order, not a God of chaos, and she left. So I get, I get concerned. I don't mean to be offensive, but I hear this stuff almost yeah. weekly, yeah. so concern. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Maybe just a different take. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, uh, whether they were charismatic or Pentecostal, a third wave kind of folks, a lot of those people didn't really know the Bible well. And it was hyper experience and they just were bad Bible students. And I think we've seen now there are, there are men who are godly men who are charismatic or continuationist. And I can think of Piper and Grudem and mm -hmm. Don Carson, uh, Sam Storms. There, there are many men, theologians that know the Bible and you know, they know the Bible better than I do. Um, so, so I can't just say, well, you're charismatic and you don't know the Bible. These men know the Bible. But what I've noticed, and this is my concern, is you get Sam Storms now speaking with or inviting Christine Kane to be on the same platform. Yeah, and sure. so their theological camaraderie with charismatic gifts makes them now undiscerning when it comes to all the other weird things they've taught. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't like that. Hey, if yeah. you're a charismatic, you're on board with us. How extreme of a charismatic, we don't really care. Mm -hmm. You're with us as long as you have these gifts operating for today. Mm -hmm. It's like Jack Hayford at Church yes. on the Way, uh -huh. down the street from mm -hmm. John MacArthur years ago, a charismatic church. He had to let everything go mm -hmm. because once he let that cat out of the bag, it was fine. So my big concern these days mm -hmm. with a lot of these charismatics who study the Bible is that I think they forget about discernment with people like Christine Kane that I, I don't think Sam Storm should ever invite to anything. Correct. It's really a hard thing because uh, you need discernment. And I think the cool thing <laughs> to say today, and it's cool amongst the millennials, is to say I'm open. But You cautious. know what I'm going to say, but cautious. And my concern is you're open and you're not cautious. And you have things going on that I can't find in the New Testament. And I don't mean to be rude, but I do. I just so believe in the power of the Word of God that He's spoken to us. So if Sarah Young said, and by the way, she's not charismatic, I was searching for something more that concerns me. Because we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. And we have a wonderful canon of scripture given to us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, guys. Another question. How does the truth of free will work with the doctrine of unconditional election? Mm. Go ahead, Mike, on that. Well, uh, I think the best thing to do is always define our terms. Uh, Amen. And free will, many scholars don't use it because it's kind of this fluid thing. Uh, and uh, I think if you define free will as nature choosing, uh, I think that's very helpful. Uh, maybe if you want to look with me, you can, or I'll just read it to you. Second Timothy uh, chapter 2 helps me a lot. If I think about an unbeliever, what are they free from? Are they free from indwelling, enslaving sin, Romans 6? No. Are they free from Satan's attacks uh, and Satan's will? Second Timothy chapter 2 says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been, hit, been, excuse me, having been held captive by him to do his will. How free is a will enslaved by Satan? And so when you say free will, 
Um, you mean free from my own indwelling sin? You mean free from the world system? I'm not trying to be too funny, but I guess a little funny. I can't even watch a commercial about food without getting hungry. I mean, I'm just an influenceable person. Um, especially those little kind of like little pineapple things covered with mm. chocolate. Aren't those good? How about what are those? Tofu corn dogs? Do you still <laughs> <eat them? laughs> so when I think of free will for the unbeliever, how free is his will? But this is what we're really after. Not indwelling sin, not the world system, not Satan. Mm. But is the unbeliever's will free from God to say, you're now alive? That's the question that everybody's asking. Do I have to let God do that? Uh, friends, if God doesn't do it, nobody's going to get saved. And so we are, yes. we are not Roman Catholics. The Roman Catholic position is the freedom of the will. Luther, at the end of his life, said, I've got a lot of stuff that I've written that I don't like, but I need to keep the bondage of the will. The fall happened. Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And the, and the, the fall has affected our mind and our emotions and our will. And we have a fallen will. And therefore, we need a regenerating power of the Spirit of God to change our nature. And now the fallen nature that hated God, now that new nature freely, like it freely hated God, but now changed by the Spirit of God, freely loves God. And so God doesn't, you know, uh, somehow force you to do something. He changes your will by His own decree, and then you respond normally and rightly to the Lord. So when I think of free will, it's really this vacuous term and if you mean by free will, you have every part of your body and mind and soul and conscience affected by the fall, but you have an island of righteousness called the will, you don't understand the fall. That, that, that's Rome. The, Rome. the Roman Catholic position was not bondage of the will. And if the will is so bound and slave to sin, you're going to need a great captain and author of salvation to come and free you by his Spirit's power. Amen. When I hear people, they say, I believe in free will, most of the time... People in our circles mean we believe in human responsibility. The tension is not between sovereignty and free will. The tension Correct. is between sovereignty and human responsibility. Mm -hmm. We have to repent and believe even though we can't. Remember Adam before the fall? Obey. Do this and live. After the fall, he couldn't do it, but God still commands him to do things and obey. Just because we've fallen, God doesn't change his program now. And man still bears that responsibility. Absolutely. And now we need... It's important to recognize that. So, so he has no ability, but he has responsibility. Yes. And that's what people don't like. Well, we're, we're commanded to do it, but we can't do it. Both are true. You've got to let that tension be. The, the one scripture I would point you to is look over at 2 Thessalonians just affirming what Mike is saying. I mean, the will is in bondage. If you ever want to read that work, <laughs> did you ever read The Bondage of the Will by Luther? Oh, he's and, scathing. Oh, man, he is scathing. He makes me look Rasmus. nice. You are nice compared to Luther. <laughs> um, <laughs> Second Thessalonians 2, when it's talking, this is just affirming what Mike's saying, mm. when it's talking about the, the judgment of Christ that is coming, Second, mm. excuse me, Second Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man remains responsible to the commandment, but he must be acted on by God. So both are true. Leave the tension there. Uh, don't try to uh, manipulate either one. You'll end up on the side of hyper-Calvinism on the one or you'll go on the other side and become Arminian where you don't recognize eternal degree, decree. So. That's why we need the last Adam, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Because while we're responsible to obey, we're unable to obey. Unable to, yes. And Jesus is the one who's able to do that yes. in our Amen. place as a Amen. representative. Okay, I'm having fun. Yeah, this is good. This and, is fun. you know, when, we have, when you have a conference on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing that so many of the, the questions coming in circle around the sovereignty of God in salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in, in light of that... Here's another question. How would you explain John 3.16 in relation to the eternal decree or predestination being chosen before the foundation of the world? John 3.16. Well, it's a famous verse, John 3.16. I'll preach a little bit of it tonight. And let's just read that. And I think we can explain it fairly easily in context. John, you preached that how many years ago now? I have. It's been yeah, not a couple years back, right? Three, probably, if I'm on John. Right. So he says, mm-hmm. for God so loved the world. And you see that word for there. He's tying it back to yes. that illustration of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And you mm-hmm. simply need to look to Moses' serpent in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to light any incense or say Latin words or cut yourself or put aloe juice on your leg or something. You just look. Seems weird, doesn't it, to look? Uh, but it's a, yeah, but it's a supernatural remedy. Amen. Here's this unclean snake, uh, and you look to the snake and you live. And now Jesus treated it like an unclean thing, and you simply need to look, you need to trust. And it has to be faith, because if you had to do anything, your doing of everything would have to be perfect and not tainted by any sin. But it's impossible. That's why faith is so key. Because to get into heaven by works, those works have to be perpetually, perfectly, entirely, and personally perfect. I sound like I'm Scott Artavanis. You see how he preaches? It's like Gatling gun, machine gun. I thought, man, he's just going. Yeah, that was a good cadence. Yeah, I know. That's a preacher's cadence. Wow. Verse 16, for God so loved, or the better way to think about it is he loved in this manner. It is a great love, but the so part isn't magnifying love. It's a, he loved in this manner. What manner did he love the world? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or if you want to make it more technical, that those believing in him should not perish but have eternal life. We hear that word world. It's a very famous verse. And we think that means each and every person that were ever born. And if God loves them, what kind of love sends people to hell? That's really what people, I think, think. Uh, make it short, John writes how many books in the New Testament? John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and what? Revelation. Revelation. So he writes five books. Has he ever used the word world anyplace else in those five books? And the answer is yes, I think 112 times with different meanings. It could be the evil world system, right? The cosmos. It could mean the globe. And it could mean what he means here. This is fascinating. Uh, He says, world. How would I figure out what that one would mean? Maybe context. But I think the answer really is found in the next chapter. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 42. Remember the woman at the well? What kind of woman was she? Well, she was a woman of the world. She was a woman of the night, essentially. And she was a Samaritan woman. Half-breed. More hated than any Gentile. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, this teacher of Israel, and that teacher of Israel knows. Day of Atonement, Jews only. 
Urim and the Thummim, Jews only. Sacrifices, Jews only. Jews only. You want to come get saved? Become a Jew only. Circumcision to get in. And now, Jesus says, God loves the world. Who's the world? Answer, chapter 4, verse 42. The woman said, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the what? He doesn't just save Jews. He saves Gentiles. This God loves humanity. He loves His enemies by sending rain, Sermon on the Mount, and He also loves uh, with this eternal love. And so if you say, well, uh, I don't believe in the eternal decree because you're saying some were chosen in the eternal decree, but Jesus loves everyone. I say this is not the same issue. This is He loves people. He loves Jews. He loves humans. He loves Gentiles. He loves Samaritans. He loves all kinds of people, and therefore those all kinds of people that were chosen in eternity past, the Son died for, the Spirit applied, and so it works nicely. Amen, that's good. How do you explain to people who say salvation can be lost in light of Hebrews 6, 4 to 6? And they cite 1 Corinthians 9, 27, after preaching, I myself should be disqualified. But primarily Hebrews 6, 4 to go 6. Ahead, it's impossible. Have you hit that part yet in Hebrews? Yeah. Go ahead. Hebrews was written to what? The book of Hebrews, one man said, was written to some Hebrews uh, so that they'd no longer be Hebrews anymore. <laughs> and maybe trust in the Hebrew of all Hebrews, the Lord Jesus. If you think like a Jew, you can get the book of Hebrews down. And people want to go to chapter 6 and say you can lose your salvation. Let me just ask you a couple questions. For in the case of those who once have been enlightened, Verse four. were the Jews ever enlightened out in the desert by a pillar of fire and pillar of cloud? I think so. Yeah. Um, what does it say then in the rest of verse 4? and made a taste of the heavenly gift. Anything that the Jews ate in the middle of the desert as a heavenly gift? Anything? Is it called manna? It's called manna. Okay. We have a restaurant in our town called the Manor, M-A-N-O-R. But of course in New England, similar to you, we say the manna. And so the food in the manor is so bad that when they serve it to me, I like to say, you know, what is this? Yeah. Right? Because manna in Hebrew is what is this? But that's another side <laughs> note. What is this manna? I'm eating manna at the manor. Um, so he's talking to the Jews, and he's saying essentially this. Some people that saw the light, some people that tasted the manna, some people that saw the power of God open up the Red Sea and you could walk through, did not make it in the promised land. Be warned. Watch out. Just because you've had these experiences doesn't, make you're gonna, doesn't mean you're going to make it all the way. He's warning them. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, taste of the good word to come, verse 5, powers of the age to come. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to renew them to repentance since they crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Dear Jewish person, I know you're getting persecuted because you say you're following Jesus. You want to go to back to that temple that's not destroyed yet. The gold, the opulence, the marble, the incense, the trumpeters, the music, the priest, the labor, and no persecution. But if you go back there, there's no hope for you. And then he turns and he says, verse 9, here's the key to this whole chapter. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. 
Those first few verses had nothing to do with salvation. They had to do with how close you could become and still not make it in the promised land. How much more spiritually now the promised land. And by the way, if you can lose your salvation, Hebrews 6 says you can never get it back. So once you're done, you're done. But it doesn't teach you can lose your salvation. It teaches don't go back to Judaism because there's no other hope. There's no other savior. There's one mediator and you can't worship anyone else. One other scripture I would add to that. It's not necessarily out of Hebrews. It's in 1 John chapter 2 um, where it gives that uh, concern there where it says, um, where's that one that says they went out from us? 2.19. Yeah, 2.19. There it is. They went out from us. So they were in, but they went out from us, 2.19, but they were not. Uh, of us for if they have been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us but you have been anointed by the holy one so there's people Mike in the same way maybe the language would be different who have been in the hearing of the word of God who have tasted of the word of God who have shared in the blessing of the word of God who have Mm -hmm. shared fellowship in the same way and then they've walked from it. Doesn't mean they lost it. It means that they actually never had it. Mm. So, and they go out. And doesn't our Lord talk yeah. about that too with the parable of the soils? Yes. And some people receive the word with joy or gladness, mm-hmm. and then they fall away because of trouble and trials. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the Puritans used to say, time and trials validate your testimony. Yes. Right? Because when you go through the ringer and you still have that faith, that's Mm. Romans chapter 5 and producing endurance or James chapter 1 verse Mm. 2, the testing of our faith. Mm. There's so much concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we can rejoice over. That was our heart um, for this conference. And uh, we're having a wonderful time. Mm. We're so grateful for you. We're looking forward to the rest of the, the day and the evening. Guys, there's a number of questions that we couldn't get through. I know these guys would love to answer them for you. I think like 40 questions that we couldn't even get to. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We just took the easy ones, the hard ones that just... Yes. We give the, the hard bin, ones to Matthew. Call him up. this week, you know. <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Scott, can you close us in prayer? Yeah. Father, thank you for this wonderful time. Take away anything that's not of your spirit, Father, that uh, wouldn't lead towards truth and even the unity of the saints, Father. We, we want to be unified, but we also understand there's doctrine and we care and we see dangers. And Father, certainly you even rebuked the church at Ephesus, Father, because they lost their first love. They put out the false teacher, but they lost their first love. And you told them to repent and come back to who they were. Father, I pray that you keep our hearts tender to you. Father, even as I think early in the Q&A here about the sovereignty of God, Father, it's amazing, as Mike said, you still use people. used a radio preacher while he was driving. You used a family in the life of my church. 
I pray that you would use these dear saints in their sphere of influence, Father, that we may tell of the greatest news, the only news, Father, the hope of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God, we're grateful. Bless this afternoon, our time that we have tonight as well as tomorrow.